Welcome to Corestruction, a show about the missions, activities, and employees of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I'm your host, Brandon Parrish. Today I'm joined by Justin Cox, who's a claims engineer in the construction branch of, branch of our Civil Engineering Division. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Justin, uh, tell me a little bit about where you're from. I grew up, right, born and raised in Haskell, Oklahoma, uh, about 30 miles southeast of Tulsa here. Um, ended up back there, and that's where my wife and two boys live now. And you're, um, you went to call, you went to school at the, at Oklahoma State University, right? Yes, I did. Oklahoma State University. Did, did you know any, any engineers who work here now who you knew in college from college days? Uh, David Blackmore graduated about the same time as I did. Um, that may be the only one I can think of off the top of my head. So you had some overlap with him or do you, yes, you yes. knew who he was yep. in college yep. or yep. Tell me what you do as a claims engineer. So I, I look at a lot of REAs, uh, requests for equitable adjustment and claims that come in from contractors, um, basically asking for additional funds or, or time for their contracts that they've been awarded. Um, you know, a little bit of anything and everything can be thrown into a claim and usually anything and everything is that they think they can get additional money or time for. Um, so basically they, they send us their requests, their statements, their allegations, and I go digging through the contract and, and find all the puzzle pieces and try to put it all together and see if there is merit to it or if there's not and kind of where, where the government should go from there. And, and we issue a contracting officer's final decision, final decision from there. And about how long does it take to, to typically research a claim on? Some of them 10 minutes, some of them six months. Really, it just depends on what 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 you're working on and how how detailed and how much is there. Um, I'm working on one right now that's got about 800 pages of of supporting documentation that they've submitted to us. So I've got to sort through all that and then everything that we have in our our project files as well, and kind of piece it all together. So you're you're you have to kind of do a Sherlock Holmes work there a little bit in terms of you know, solving the mystery of the, of the missing money or the missing work or the provided work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. I didn't, I didn't think I would like it, but I kind of do. It's kind of, I don't, I don't know, call me weird, but kind of fun in a way because you, you are digging in and it's like, well, you said this, so where's the, where's the proof or the, the support to that? Right. Right. So you said you went to school at Oklahoma state and you've worked in industry for, for a while. Um, why did you end up coming to work for the Corps? So I grew up working for a small earthwork contractor that that has performed a lot of civil works for the Corps. Um, so I, I kind of grew up working around and being on different projects at a young age and then went to college. And during college, still worked for them in the summers. But I also did two internships for the Corps College as well. Um, and then ended up in private industry working for a contractor at the time that did uh, a lot of military work for the Corps. Um, so I traveled, I, I spent a lot of time at Fort Bliss down in Texas, uh, White Sands Missile Range there, connected to Fort Bliss essentially. Um, and then down around San Antonio at Lackland and, and also Fort Sam Houston for that contractor doing different projects. And um, then got tired of that and came home 
and, and worked for the earthwork contractor for a while doing doing more small civil core con- uh, contracts and then shifted around a little bit more and, and, and stuck more into private industry for about the last eight years. Um, a few few government contracts thrown in here and there, but but mostly private. Um, and then last year I was kind of looking for something different and honestly the core was the only one I ever I talked to or, or applied to and, and here I am. So what were you what were you most looking forward to? I mean what you know what was the motivation to to come to the core? I mean you said that we were the it was a the only one you really looked at. When I was younger, I'd always said, oh, I'll probably end up at the core later on in life. And I guess it's later on in life. Um, but I, I've got two boys and I feel like in private industry, I've kind of been ran around. Um, oh, I haven't got to spend as much time with my boys as what I, what I would like to have. Um, and I felt like the stability of, of, of coming to the core would, would allow more of that. And, and so far it has. So I, I've, I've been... I've been appreciative of that, and so so have they. Those uh, all the constantly, constantly, constantly uh, being on, um, traveling around, kind of takes its toll after a while. Yeah. Essentially, my last eight years, I was kind of on call twenty four hours a day, and pretty much when I got a call, I had to go. So, and that happened more often than what I what I like would have liked for it to. Right. Yeah. Learned a lot of things. Great experience, but but. This is where I am now, and I'm looking forward to the future. Right, that is one of the things about the core. I think that that most most engineers I've talked to they they always say that like I get the benefit of you know if I want to work overtime, there's there's availability to do that in a lot of play, in a lot of cases for projects, but it's not it's not a pressing thing, and unless it's like a you know flood fight or or something like that. So yes, um, the time is definitely one of the best aspects especially for you know an industry where you can often end up working 80 hours a week you know or 60 hours a week easy yes you know right out especially right out of college when you're when you're younger right yes so yes um how old were you when you realized you wanted to be an engineer i i I don't know if i can put an actual age to it um I can admit my, my grandpa was a custom home builder um, as I was growing up, and he kind of got out of that when I was a teenager, kind of semi-retired. But um, I can remember him from when I was little telling me I ought to be an engineer, which back then I thought an engineer drove a train. So didn't really know what it was then, but I guess he just saw kind of the workings in my mind. And um, but But truth be told, when I said I was going to be an engineer, I was probably a sophomore junior in high school i think probably probably closer to a junior in high school was when i had decided that was what i was going to do um and truth be told i had I, I when i first enrolled in college i was going to be an architectural engineer but i soon changed that um over to civil uh, kind of fit more in, in, in my background and what I was looking to do. So that, that's where I ended up. Were you, were you one of those people who tinkered with things and took things apart or? Yes, still do. <laughs> still do. Um, you know, that's kind of the cliche thing for, for engineers to say is, Oh, I, I love to take things apart and put it back together. But truth be told, I did. 
Um, even if it was broke, working, whatever, I'd take it apart and put it back together. So was that something you noticed with the people you even went to college with and stuff? Like in, when you were in your engineering program in college, like that they also were like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think so. I think so. Probably one of the, the, the my favorite projects I did in, in, in college was in timber design class and we designed and constructed a, a small, it was roughly five feet wide, 12 feet long timber bridge. And uh, there were, there were basically two groups of people in that class that did that. And, and, there were the designers and there were the constructors and I was one of the constructors. So, um, that's just kind of where I, where, where I like to be. Oh, did you, did you also notice that in engineering, engineering school that, um, like you were talking about designers and constructors, mm -hmm. um, there, there are people who they tend to be really good at the academic side of it. And then there are people who are just like, the the create I, sort of the creativity about how to go about solving a problem part of it. Did yes. you see that too? Like, yes. Yep. Those, those that were great on paper, uh, but then you take them out in the field and and see them clam up. Um, you know, I, I'm one that I go out in the field and I'm comfortable. Everything's good, but then you get me in trying to draw something <laughs> up or design something, and I, I I fumble and have to dig and research, and it takes me a lot longer. So. Everybody have has their strengths and weaknesses. So you've been here now about a year. Yes, sir. How are you finding it? It's a little weird. <laughs> in what way? <laughs> well, because of COVID. I mean, you know, yeah. nobody's in the office, and and you know, I I work from home quite a bit now, and you know, I live in Haskell, so it's great for me because it saves a drive, but. You know, I, I like to be able to come in and see people and talk to people and get to know people and don't really get to do that much now. Um, so that's that that's the weird part about it right there. So So you're actually you're actually one of those social sociable people. To a certain degree. <laughs> to a, you ask my wife and she says, No, I'm I'm not the social one, but it's to to a certain degree I am. Yeah. What kind of what kind of stuff are you are you into? What are your hobbies? Um so I, I've got a small herd of cattle that, that we run, uh, about 15 head. So I spend a lot of time in the wintertime feeding and, and taking care of them. But um, So we've got a little bit of land, and so I guess my hobby is working around the house. <laughs> Do you, you get a lot of those uh, uh, honeydew oh, list yeah. things? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. But I, I am, uh, my oldest boy is six, and my youngest is, is three, and Oldest boy's been into soccer, but he's going to play baseball again. This he, We played a couple years ago, and then he took a year off, and so we're playing again this year, and so I'm coaching him. So it'll be that'll be my hobby for the next few months anyway. Did you notice a huge change between, like, four and six and your oldest? Yes, absolutely. Looks, demeanor, everything. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's kind of where I feel like he went from being looking like a baby to looking like a little boy. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, with social media, we get all these, uh, memories that pop up and, and there's pictures of him on there and you see him, you know, two, three, four years ago and he's got that little baby fat and round face and now he's just skinny mini. What, um, what about your job would you say is the most challenging part of it? Is it the reading through like 800 pages of documents or something? Yeah. Cause I'm not a reader. <laughs> um, 
I say that not to incriminate myself, but right. um, but no, I just I, I'm not a reader. But then when I start going down a path like that, I start digging and digging and digging and digging, and sometimes I go down rabbit holes that don't mean nothing. But at the same time, in, in doing what I'm doing, you you almost have to go or need to go down those rabbit holes to make sure there is nothing there to flesh them out. Yeah, yeah. So pro- probably the biggest challenge is is knowing which rabbit hole to go down and which one to leave alone. You said you were you were in your you you did you try any other fields when you were in when you first started in engineering or like when you were in college were you looking at others or did you just said civil or mechanical or did you try any of the other disciplines that you you thought you might be interested in or I I didn't um You know, I, 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 like I said, I, I, when I, I might've even changed my major before I enrolled in college, but, uh, when I, when I really thought about it and and went and visited OSU, I know I was doing architectural engineering, but then somewhere in there changed me over to civil, um, probably because that's kind of where, what discipline at that point in my life I had had more experience with, um, which an 18 year old kid, truth be told, usually doesn't have a lot of experience anywhere. I mean, I didn't have a lot of experience there either, but, um, but that was just the one that, you know, the people that I were in my life at the time and, you know, a lot of them still are, but, um, that, that was just kind of where the path had led me. Um, you know, I do almost feel like that a class in college might like your intro class maybe should be explaining all these different um, disciplines that you can go into, not even just engineering, but everything. Cause college kid can go. I, I didn't really know what all was involved in civil engineering at the time um, or mechanical or electrical or, or, you know, a business management degree or, or whatever. Um, so I, I think a, 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 we should do more education to our kids like that rather than let them go spend forty, fifty thousand dollars on an education that they really don't know what they're gonna do with it. Right. Or what they can do with it. Yeah. I, I mean, like who how many people know about navigation and like the 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 toes and barges and there's an entire industry and yeah. I know there's a lot of people that don't know. And you know, when I was in college if which, you know, you may or may not need college degrees to do some of that stuff. But, um, when I was in college, I, I would have been, it would have been amazing to, to go spend a summer just doing that, you know, but you didn't even, I didn't even know it was around. Yeah. Most people don't. I mean, you know, we've got the largest inland port, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. No, you're right. In in the U S if not world. Yeah. The most, the most like non cold weather or something. Yeah. And, and you know, for those that aren't directly involved in it in some way, shape or form, you don't really know about it. Yeah. Even if you see the barges, you just don't. Yeah. You just like, don't even think about them. Big boat on the water. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, So you grew up in Haskell Mm -hmm. and you, you raise cattle now some, you got what, 15? Yes. Is that what yes. Yes. And so, did your family always have cattle, or is that something you got into after? Uh, we we've always had some kind of animals. Um, I had pigs growing up and <clears throat> different things. So we we we've always had something. 
Um, and so there's a lot of folks around there that do as well. So, um, just kind of, kind of natural part of growing up around there. Really? Mm-hmm. What? No, so you all, so your family, you always had something, pigs or, or something, right? Mm-hmm. Not cattle though. No, not, not is, always cattle. No. What's the learning curve on doing something like that? Do you, is it probably best if you've had some kind of, uh, 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 domesticated animal background before you try to get into that world or uh it's it, it depends on what you're gonna do with them yeah if they're gonna be your pets you're probably gonna well 15 head of cattle they're not just your pets right no like... no no um but some people like if, if somebody was gonna go get you know one cow or or, or right you know <clears throat> um just understanding them a little bit and understanding how they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you can't bring that, that thing inside your house and <laughs> let it sit on the couch with you. Although you see pictures across the internet that they do. Um, <laughs> but most of them are calves when they do that. But, um, you know, they're going to be thousand, 1200 pounds, give or take, um, sometimes a little more, a little less, but, um, understanding them and, and how they react to hot weather, cold weather, um, and, you know, providing the best care you can day or night, uh, rain, sun, or, um, rain or shine. Um, I would say, you know, you, you don't have to know about them, but don't be afraid to ask questions with, with the way the internet is anymore. You can look up about anything and, at least get yourself going in the right direction. Why, why did you decide to get cattle? Like what, what made you decide, Hey, you have, obviously you had the land, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just a way to pay for the land. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) How how does that, I mean, how does that, I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, that, and that's kind of like the whole agricultural realm is so, um, or ranching realm, ranching and agricultural realm. Um, <clears throat> what, how did you just decided, did you start with with two or three or how did you? I, I, I bought one cow. Um, oh, when I was working at Fort Bliss, um, and, and dumped it out on some property and in with some families, cattle and, um, have grown from there. So. I said, I, I bought one, started with one mm-hmm. and, now, and, now. and did you intend to have more? Was that like your, or. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it's one of those, you know, retirement type things that, you know, I can, you know, hopefully pay for the land between now and then and, um, and then have some kind of residual income when I do retire. Right. Something to do and keep me busy too. How many acres does it take for fifteen head of cattle? How many do you need? You around here, it kind of varies, but to to fully sustain, you're looking at roughly four acres per cow. Okay. Um, and 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 that cow can also have a calf with it too. So, um, so you're looking at roughly four acres per head, give or take a little bit, depending on the the, the quality of of your ground and your roughage. Is that something else you, you could like, or you, you, you have to really pay attention to the type of grass or whatever, or that you have. And I mean, obviously you've got to supplement it sometimes depending on whether you're doing the grass fed thing. Right. Or you do. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so 
you know, we, we do feed, feed a ration, um, as long as, as along with the, the grasses or, or the hay, um, I try to keep our grass pretty good quality, um, mm -hmm. fertilizers, lime, different things to the soils, um, to help them grow and support. Um, and, uh, been fortunate that I've been able to keep, keep our cows pretty fat and pretty healthy and, and, uh, haven't really lost any over the last few years, especially through the, the cold we had last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I know quite a few people have lost some, uh, but we, we, we didn't, uh, which is, is good. Do you have to do a lot of supplementation in the winter or in like Haskell somewhat South of here? Um, right. So yes. do, do you find that the grass stays pretty, pretty, I don't know if green is the right word or pretty healthy for them year round or you have to yeah, supplement it, with hay. It, it doesn't year round. Um, we usually <laughs> feed hay from roughly middle of November to um, usually around tax day, middle, middle of April. Okay. Um, and so I was fortunate this year that, that I leased another place and I was able to keep cows off of it all year last year. And so they were able to get in there and in late fall and, and eat on that quite a bit. So I, I've been able to reduce my, my hay bill this year which we cut and bale our own hay, but, um, you know, what I don't use, I can sell. So, um, it looks like I'm, I'm probably going to be able to have to get rid of here pretty soon. And you have to keep that out of the rain, right? Like, Hey, don't you have to, no, or, not or necessarily. A... It, it, you can lose your, your nutrient value in it. If it's, if it's not out of the rain okay. and or sun. Um, but it, you know, after a couple of years, your, your twine or your net wrap tends to, start rotting if it hasn't moved. Okay. Um, but I, I try not to keep any hay past, you know, past a year. Okay. okay. So it, it don't, it won't like kill them or, or hurt the cattle or whatever. No, okay. no, no. Like I, I think I'd heard something about somebody having hay in a barn and the hay had gotten wet and it started a fire. It will, depending on how you bale it and when you bale it, there's a certain moisture content that will essentially create heat, generate heat and start, spontaneous combustion wow um, and so you, your your hay has to be it's got to sit and dry out or cure for a couple of days oh um, wow before you actually after you cut it okay before you bale it so you don't you don't you don't immediately uh bale the hay these are probably like stupid questions no no not not because like, <laughs> you can do you can do baleage or silage and, and they usually do still wrap it when it's green oh, okay but that's how they want it and they wrap it and they keep it um they fully wrap it with like a plastic. Um, but then, uh, if you're just bailing hay, like we typically do around here, a lot, a lot of the Amish folks up, up around, um, Choteau and Maisie, they, mm -hmm. they, they do a lot of baleage and silage, but, um, most people around here just, just do dry hay and, and, uh, do it that way. It's easier to keep, keep and be able to move around. So you, you're, you're, Cattle are grass-fed, essentially, right? I mean, is that considered grass-fed, or do, no? Is that we, we supplement with quite a bit of grain in the winter okay. as well, too. Okay, so it just added added easy <clears throat> um, protein for them. Okay. Now, and 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 how does how is the the business model for cattle work? How does that typically? Where does the if you're if you're if you're doing you know ranching or whatever? How does that business work? There's, there's different ways. Um, 
some people raise raise feed, feed stalker calves and what you typically do there is you'll you'll go buy some calves at a certain time certain price certain weight and then you bring them in you feed them and they'll gain x number of pounds and then you turn around and sell them oh, okay um so you you don't keep those for very long you're looking to get a gain um and and which would equal an increased price um so you can sell it and you can try to net that difference um and then there's you know a a um beef production which is kind of what i do and and you know we're, we're raising uh calves and, and sell the calf crop every year um and uh then maybe i've been thinking about raising some to sell for for their meat actually to individuals but we haven't haven't gone that far yet mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, it's just amazing that, you know, people, I, I think most people only really think about the, the beef production mm-hmm. side of ranching. They don't think about the, like, there's an entire, uh, there's an entire market of, of selling calves so that people can build a herd. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. um, so yeah. it's really interesting that, um, and you said yep. it takes about four acres per, per, Head of cattle, roughly around, yeah. around here. Now you get in in the drier climates, southeastern or southwestern Oklahoma, eat, excuse me, just western Oklahoma in general, and and that number may go up. I don't know what it is right now right. off the top of my head, but you know it, it may require eight acres per head down there. All right, just because um, of the the rainfall and the, yeah, the rain rainfall is a big big player in it, um, and and the available forage that they would have um, there. So. Is there a particular type of, of of grass that cattle prefer? That Bermuda is a good one around here, good easy one to grow, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that's kind of a big big staple. You know, that we try to look for and try to keep and produce because it's it'll it'll grow about anywhere as long as you get the nutrients right. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll grow on sand, it'll grow on you know good good loam topsoil, and also in some you know leaner clays. So you started with one head how long ago? I guess it's about 15 years ago now. Okay. Yeah. And you've gone up about one a year or so? Yeah, I've actually. Or have you? I had about 25 or 30 a couple years ago, and then I sold and I had a a different lease pasture, and and we switched around and um, with what we owned too, and uh, so I had to kind of reduce it a little bit, so. I got down to where I'm at now and, and uh, kind of just holding there right now. And you managed to do this all while working in an industry where you were traveling pretty pretty often, right? So, yep. like, when you got yep. home. My, my, my father-in-law is a big help as okay. well. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife helps when she can. And, and uh, so it's, it's uh, uh, I, I've had help. I haven't done it all on my own. Um, so it's, it's, it's team effort. Yeah. Your kids get a kick out of it. Oh yeah, they they've got one of their own too. So oh really? Yeah, yeah. How does that work? What do they? I take, we have to, I take care it. of it <laughs> like a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just bought her a couple months ago for him, so it's just oh, kind really? of still nude for him. So They're I think lo- once she has a calf, it'll kind of be kind of exciting for him, and it may kind of draw him in a little bit more. But. Mm-hmm. They still see her when she's out in pasture, so. 
Do you, uh, you enjoy that being out like in the, um, do you enjoy being outside and, and, you know, out on the, out on the ranch and, and yeah. walking around? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I do. It's yeah. nice. It's peaceful. It's quiet. So it, it, it's great. It's great. It's great. So do you ever get back to Stillwater and, and go to the games of, or, or, not as much as what I'd like. We hadn't been to a game. Uh, I guess we the last game we went to was a basketball game in like January of 2020. Really? Um, so haven't been been up for game football or basketball or any, baseball anything since then. What advice would you have for someone who is about to graduate college and they're they're in an engineering discipline um, and they're looking at you know future jobs what kind of things would you recommend they think about bloated question <laughs> <laughs> um I, over, overall i would say do something that and this is going to be a cliche answer do something that makes you happy um And, and, you know, you, your happiness may be running all over at all hours of the day and night. and um, But but that place, as much as the people around you, you like them, love them, your position will be replaced if you were to leave today. Um, so do something that makes you happy, you fit in, you'll, you're, you feel you are a part of it and you're a productive member there. Um and uh, that's that's probably the biggest thing that I would say, and, and not pointing them in any direction, but just you know find that happiness for you. Very good answer. I agree, one hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to say uh, thank you for thank you for joining us today, Justin, and um, it's it's good talking to you. As I've it's amazing the whole thing with the cattle. That just that's that's so I don't know. For me, that's just an amazing thing. I mean, especially for city folk, you know, the, who who don't. That's just not even something they would they would think about doing to to go and have a, you know, bunch of cattle and and do that as a, as on the side to offset the the cost of land, right? So, yeah. Yep. Um, that's just extremely interesting. Thank you for joining us for Corestruction. Corestruction has been a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode of Corestruction is brought to you by the Engineering and Construction Division. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.